Borat Dogerthlets. My name is Conrad, and this is the 14th episode of Space Spinner Reaction, a podcast where we try to make sense of the UK's own classic comic action, three issues at a time. This issue, though, we are reaching the end of pre-censorship action and taking a look at the Action Annual 1977. It came out right around the final issues of pre-ban action, so I figured we should add it to our slog, just sort of some some extra action to, to hold us over. This episode will hang out with deadly wildlife, fight in World War II and against Napoleon, and check out prequels to several top action stories. And this time, I'm joined by my IRL buddy, Duncan. Welcome to the show! Hey, Conrad, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here right now in this digital audio space. Yeah, it's a place beyond time and reality, buddy. The flesh (laughs) is dust and we are among gods. Anyway. (laughs) The only way I would have it. Yeah. So... I, before we get started, I was just wondering if you could tell us about sort of your comic book history, I guess. You've, uh, ap- appeared on my, on the uh, Doctor Strange show, Stranger by the Dozen, that I've done, um, in a couple early episodes. I was just wondering if you could just sort of, you know, let these, um, folks know what your deal is or whatever. Of course, totally. So, Stranger by the Dozen might still be the, like, earliest comic book writing that I've ever read. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I always grown up read X Men and and superhero like DC stuff like Batman, but I kind of had like a second renaissance when I got my hand on Sandman by Neil Gaiman, mm-hmm. uh, and ever since then, that's kind of been like my cornerstone. You know, I, I've been a bigger fan of sort of the off brand weirder characters. Nice. Yeah, yeah, we we just had a uh, uh, a a very young Neil Gaiman appear on uh, on on Space Spinner two thousand, just sort of doing some. Real some some early stuff in like the mid eighties. Um, oh, that's awesome! And I'm sure stuff. it was probably about North mythology or something like that. I or, mean, or dreaming. Yeah, there was there was definitely some reality bending stuff <laughs> for sure. But you know, at that point, when, when you're the new guy, you can't get too crazy right off off the gate. You know, fair. He had to build up to that. Yeah, but so was it was it weird um, checking out this action annual, which has no superheroes at all, or even like superhero adjacent <laughs> things. Uh, you know what? I think I, I kind of had like uh, a good expectation based on just uh, a cursory glance of the the like material therein. But mm-hmm. um, I I honestly I thought it was super fun. I am such a huge fan of really just short stories uh, and sort of a uh, compilation of short stories. Oh yeah, the idea that every time you read a story, no matter how good or bad it is, the next one you're going to get is just pretty much completely different. You know. And, and that's so exciting to me, and I really just love that structure. Nice. I mean, I got to get you into more into more British comics. That's really the uh, that's the that's the rule instead of the exception over um, <laughs> over there. Perfect. Like, everything's anthology comics, you know, three to five pages long, um, multiple, yeah, that's, you know, that's four to six stories per issue. Like, you know, like. yeah, <laughs> it just lets you get in, get out, and kind of establish things and tell a story and move on. You know, cool. Exactly. Yeah. So here we go into the annual. Uh, just so you know, Duncan, these uh, British Comics annuals, they're, this one's for seven, 1977, but they're dated for the year after their release. So this one would uh, came out sort of in fall of 1976. Oh, well, and, interesting. Okay. Yeah, it's it's it, it's it, it's like the post date or something like that. But also because a lot of times while they'd come out in like the fall, these things, th- these annuals ended up being a lot of times Christmas gifts for 
like comics for for comics reading kids, you know, you'd get like it'd be in your stocking on Christmas morning or something like that. And so oh, because of that, usually the the paper quality is way better than the than the weekly comics. They're all uh, hardback and stuff um, and have like more color sections than the average comics have. Like most of these comics in um, in this era, like have like a color cover and maybe like two color pages in the middle of the comic. But otherwise, it's all completely black and white. Yeah, totally. Um, so this one. Um, um, and so w- w- with action, I don't know if I've go to really gone over the story of action with you but it's a very influential uh, uh british comic like if you um all the stories of 2000 ad always start with first there was action then due to certain situations action was censored by uh parents groups and stuff and at- is this like post censorship that we read well what we've read is right on the cusp of it like okay like um in um, in recent episodes, we've had issues of the comic that, that are going right into the ban, and those issues aren't advertising this annual. So it's sort of right as the, as the ban's coming down, basically. But gotcha. okay. that wouldn't have changed the content of this annual. And, there's still, and there is still some pretty bl- uh, uh, bloody stuff in this one in comparison I was say. to what <laughs> I didn't happens want to get otherwise. ahead of myself. Yeah, you, you know, it's not as crazy as it is sometimes in the comic itself, but it still is pretty... Right can get pretty wild um <laughs> but so um but and annuals have these annuals and also a uh, 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 summertime specials often deal in like nostalgia or have long term like they'll continue long after the, the the comics themselves fold like it's a big thing in british comics also to um if if a comic starts underperforming that they sort of fo- they fold into a more successful one so and then they'll take like the most popular stories from the folded comic and add that to the stable of the, of the more of, of the more successful one. It's, wow, that's pretty clever. Yeah, it it's interesting. It's like um I don't know. Sometimes like 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 TV networks will like fold but then um like their most successful show will get picked up by another network or something like that. Yeah, it's exactly. a little bit like that. Um and sort of interesting thing, you know, um, like action will eventually be folded into into a, in, into a comic called Battle, for instance, and so, and so for a while it'll be called Battle Action, you know, or something <laughs> like that. Just uh, in the transition, and then it just goes back to being called Battle. Yeah, it like usually it'll it'll like the comics hold on to the name for a while, but eventually it just sort of reverts to the original name. Like for a while, two thousand like two thousand AD itself absorbed a comic called Star Lord, and for a long time, and so and and for about a year, it was two thousand AD and Star Lord. Mm-hmm. Then it uh, absorbed a comic called Tornado, and became two thousand AD and Tornado for about a year, and then it just went back to two thousand AD featuring Judge Dredd, which it <laughs> continued to be until uh, the Sylvester Sloan movie came out, and then they decided to distance themselves from Judge Dredd a little bit. You know, it's uh, hard times. <laughs> Oh, it wasn't that bad. Yeah, that might be an apocryphal story, but it still makes me chuckle. Um, anyway, <laughs> fair. <laughs> yeah. So, but this action annual would continue. These action annuals would continue coming out for a couple years, even after action itself is folded. The final action annual came out in 1984, which was the 1985 action annual. It's sort of interesting. 
Um, also, yeah, just to sure. show that these comics are usually bought by parents and stuff, like this one costs a pound versus the actual weekly comic, which costs seven pence each. So there's a, a, a big price increase here as well. Sure. What's the like the inflation on that? Do you think? Ooh, I don't know. Um, gonna make now. Now I'm interested, so I'll I'll look it up here. Um, <laughs> it, it it's tough because you gotta like because it, it's like cross time and cross currency. You know. Oh yeah, totally. <laughs> All right. So I'm looking at a thing that says uh, nineteen. Uh, oh yeah, no, 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 never mind. Nineteen seventy-six pounds. Oh God! <laughs> I just dug you into a rabbit hole. <laughs> yeah, but I'll I'll find it. I got it here. Okay. I believe you. I know that you can do this. This is your your <laughs> internet sleuthing quiz for the week. Well, it's it's tough because um like it's give I'm 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 getting a lot of um I'm getting a lot of like um what is like what is the cost of nine of of nineteen hundred and seventy six pounds um. Mm-hmm. To the current ones. Okay, so I'm gonna just put in one here. All right, so so one pound in 1976 is six pounds and 84 pence today. That's nothing to scoff at. I no, mean. and so but and so then let's see pounds to dollars. I'm gonna cut a lot of this out just as my uh, work things out. <laughs> I'm gonna see six that eighty four. You know, yeah. So, uh, and so today, and so you know, exchange rate as we're recording this in uh, early June of 2019, that is um, eight 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 dollars and sixty four cents. Oh man! All right, that's an expensive comic. Yeah, it's pretty good. It's like, I mean, I think it's cheaper than a graphic novel, but still pretty like decent. I mean, you know, enough that you'd like definitely think about it at least. You know. Um, yeah, and, and everyone at home can do the uh, the math to figure out what that like the pound to to comic ratio is for the whole annual. Definitely, I mean, <laughs> you know, some pages are definitely carrying more of that weight than others. You know, <laughs> yeah, but we we'll talk about Action Mouse when we get there. Oh man, I will say that 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 this annual is actually pretty massive. It's got like over 144 pages, or it's got 144 and 44 pages, which makes it the longest annual I've ever covered. Usually. Yeah, between ninety and one hundred and twenty. So this thing yeah. is gigantic. <laughs> um, definitely the longest annual I've ever covered. Also, hey man, listen, like it's just <laughs> exciting times, you know. Exactly. <laughs> so got a lot to talk about. Yeah. So the uh, the the cover features a demolition derby and the promise: it's rough, it's tough, it's like Action Weekly, only it's bigger. <laughs> Just like how this episode might be uh, rough, tough, and slightly bigger than a regular uh, uh, reaction episode. Anyway, <laughs> the inside cover's got a table of contents and a double-sized picture of an F1 racer. There's so much, like, integration of sports stuff in action that's kind of interesting. I think it's just because there's so much sports in action, and I feel like, especially for Americans, if you're reading comics, you're very much not doing sports stuff, you know? So it's yeah, kind of exactly. interesting to see all the sports stuff in here, you know? But unless it's got like a, a dog that's very good at playing the sports, we're not really that interested in it. Ooh, indeed. Listen, there's nothing <laughs> in the rule book that says that this dog can't play football, Duncan. You know, know. that's true. All right. I know. I've been to the Super Bowl. I know. You don't need to tell me. <laughs> Airbug bastard. Anyway, <laughs> let's get started with these stories with Story One Wild Ones. Is this one about Airbud? No, man. It's about a whole different kind of wild one, dude. About, okay. not, it's not about dogs, it's about cats or whatever. 
<laughs> Duncan, somewhere in Patagonia, we see a jaguar attacking a cow. And the whole thing's being filmed by Greg Wilde, the producer of this show, Wild Ones. He's sort of a Richard Attenborough uh, slash a Marty Stauffer or whatever. <laughs> yeah, but he's like way less considerate to human life, I think. <laughs> yeah, he's just sort of a jerk about it. It's awesome. Um, (laughs) as they're filming some more people show up oh it's the local villagers and they're hunting the jaguar with their traditional methods of dogs and poison darts they like kill the jaguar and they're gonna plant and they plant a skill to to sell the skin for money when wild intervenes and he's like oh these these jaguars are gonna be extinct you guys can't just kill them and they're like Whatever, man. Like these things are uh, are are no good. And then suddenly, a second jaguar attacks. Yeah, when the real wild attacks. Yeah, <laughs> and this one's cool because it's got it's it's only got one eye, so it's all badass, you know. Yeah, that that one's been through some stuff. Definitely, it kills one of the locals, but before anyone can stop can stop it, wild gets in the way. And uh, says, hey, we only shoot animals with a camera, by gar. That's like his, <laughs> his, his catchphrase. Yeah, pretty much. Like, it's okay. Human, humans don't, like, don't try and intervene or, like, help them at all. <laughs> but, like, you better not hurt this jaguar. That's right. Got, got those priorities right, you know? Um, <laughs> the locals warned that uh, now the jaguar's tasted human flesh, he'll be a terror for everyone. But Wild refuses to leave and stop filming. That night... They hear the cat yowling over its lost mate, and Wild goes with a night vision camera to film it. If it attacks him, then he'll have that on film too, so so much the better. <laughs> Just win-win for him. Yeah, there's no lose. You get that footage. Um, as he's filming that night, the jaguar spots him and attacks him, but as he leaps... Wild tosses some ribs that he just happened to have with him at the jaguar, and it goes for those instead of him. The <laughs> I lo- thought that was a, a plant. Like... He just dodged out of the way and he got the ribs. Yeah, well, but, he had him. He had him with him, I guess. You know, one, yeah. one way or another. Um, yeah, but he proves that the jaguar is like not. It does not care about humans. Yeah, yeah, because that's what because the locals show up with torches, take out the jaguar, and Wild stops and basically says that, "Hey, man, like that cat going for the ribs proves that it's not hungry for human flesh. It doesn't like the taste of flesh, man. Nobody does. They'll <laughs> exactly own, like it's only going for like." These things only turn man-eater because they're old and the only thing they can hunt are dumb, slow humans, all right? So if you just leave this jaguar alone, it'll leave you alone. So stop, you know, being jerks and killing endangered species, buddy. Yeah, otherwise he'll kill you. (laughs) Yeah. Anyhow, a lesson in native animals given to native peoples complete. Uh, Wild packs up his gear (laughs) and prepares to head to another uh, place full of animals. Exactly. (laughs) I thought that that was like I I I feel like they know how to deal with with the panther. <laughs> they aren't yeah. like new guys, you know. They but. were <laughs> they've got this covered. This guy's like the stranger in the strange land or whatever. Yeah. You know, straight up uh straight up uh, Attenborough st- uh, explaining how to deal with this panther. <laughs> it's seriously though, like I love animals as much as the next guy, but this this dude it's it's not that he loves animals so much, but he like had to make a deal with the devil. He's like, I'll love animals more, but I have to hate humans just from like the bottom of my heart. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. All right. So speaking of uh, people with uh, without control of their animalistic instinct, Duncan. Oh, nice. Story two. <laughs> run, Rampton, run.
<laughs> so this one stars um, a, a, a character from the weekly comics, Alex Shaw, who is a professional soccer player. In the comics, he was being blackmailed by some guy, but now he's just sort of dealing with various um, weird soccer happenings. <laughs> yeah. Uh, this time this they've is a been very slice of the life com- or slice of life comic. It's true, yeah. It's got a weird le- like I'm, I'm not sure about this lesson here, but um, <laughs> yeah, been- well, let's get there and then you can tell me your take on it. I'm, I'm excited. Yes, yeah, so they've been moving up the table under the leadership of this guy called Tiger Curtis, who isn't a very cool dude, but by God, he gets results like a common Conrad. Um, <laughs> I disagree with that first part. Uh, oh, you know, I, I get results. I'll say that much. Um, yep. <laughs> but so he's playing the team super hard. They're in this game. They've scored eight points. Like Alex has scored three of them. And this new kid, Donnie White, scored five, scored five when Donnie suddenly collapses, not breathing. Oh, no, you need to breathe for soccer. Seriously. Curtis tells the team to keep playing, even though they're up 8 nothing with 10 minutes left to play, uh, which, <laughs> like, I think in most games just invokes the mercy rule, basically. <laughs> but he wants them to get to 10 points, and the team thinks he's going crazy, and just the stadium's got a real, like, you know, pal over it. It's no fun when some guy just collapsed during the middle of a murder, um, yeah. team-wise. <laughs> I think it's a real, bum, like, buzz killer. Yeah, definitely. We then... Cut back to two days earlier when we see Curtis running the team through some drills. We see White lean over with like chest pains in the middle of them, and Curtis is like, "Just work through them. Get back out there." Now I'm gonna punch your heart. <laughs> punch your heart out, buddy. Um, now White's in the hospital, and the team's planning a way to deal with this coach as he yells at um, at some other team members for saying the next game will be an easy walkover. As they practice, word comes in: Donnie White died in the hospital because he had a weak heart and didn't tell anybody oh, no. about it because he was bad at soccer <laughs> bad at soccer yeah white's go- uh, uh uh curtis is going crazy he's like saying everybody that that white was a weakling and stuff like that like he couldn't stand up to real man training practices and stuff it's really excellent um yeah great leadership Definitely. Teams getting dissatisfied and like there's even players asking to be transferred to other teams behind Curtis's back and Curtis is punching him in the face because of it, which is good leadership. But right. for all that acrimony, Duncan, <laughs> Rampton City is doing really well, making its way to the league quarterfinal and all that stuff. Um, but yeah, sure. as, the, okay. as, as the final game starts, it looks like the other team is going to make them work hard for it because they're just like playing real physical and it's a really overcoming Rampton City superb conditioning. So they're losing yeah, they, basically. They trained harder. Oh, no. At, at, at the half, Curtis starts yelling at the team. He takes a swing at Alex just as the team owner shows up. And we see him just going nuts, smashing furnitures and, just, you know, being completely crazy. Rampton goes out and gets his ass kicked. And the next day, Curtis has fired his manager. I guess we'll just get a new guy then, eh? Uh, the end. <laughs> yeah. I mean, what? <laughs> yeah. What the heck was that? I don't, I, I, I don't know what the, what the lesson's supposed to be. Like, you gotta pay the cost to be the boss or something? Or like, he didn't, maybe the other team killed two people. Yeah. And that's why they were able to win. Ooh. Because as far as I can tell, he was a jerk. Um, and they were winning and then they weren't winning and he got fired. So he was a, a jerk 
for ultimately no reason. Yeah. I guess maybe and, and the person died, but like that's whatever. Yeah, like maybe being a jerk only takes you so far. You've got to like actually like you know have some other elements to your training regimen or something like that. <laughs> exactly. Not a not a great lesson, but I mean, what's to be done? I suppose. Uh, and, you know what's to be done? Mm. A crossword. Always story three. <laughs> Pop crossword, and it's a laugh. <laughs> so filler time, Duncan. Oh man, a lot of filler in these annuals. Always got to do it. Um, also just like sometime or you, you gotta remember it's 1976, you know, there's no like video games. You've only got like one TV and that's like, your dad's going to want to watch that and watch God knows what, you know, (laughs) like you need things to occupy yourself. And sometimes those things take the form of a pop culture crossword puzzle that's, man, pretty inscrutable just because it's, like, from 40 years ago and about England instead of America, you know? (laughs) I can't even do, like, American crossword puzzles from today. Like, I had stood no chance. It's tough, man. This one's mostly about music and other pop culture stuff. And next up, there's a bunch of comics with some extremely lame jokes there's a there's a cowboy that got a pussy cat instead of getting the posse and yep. a, a domino painter taking it easy because they're doing the double blanks today so he doesn't have to do anything. Right. right, which is like, are you still getting paid? <laughs> What's happening here? I guess so. I you know, yeah, he just takes his, you know, has a working vacation, you know, read, read I, the paper. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It's a holiday. Yeah. I, I feel like that the the most perfect, like, encapsulation of all of these comics is the one of the lady asking like asking what is it the train conductor is like is it raining yeah. porter and she's like no it's raining water lady <laughs> like, oh okay. man yeah get out of here <laughs> waka waka <laughs> always uh, you know we, we got these jokes and speaking yeah. of things that are no laughing matter duncan <laughs> <laughs> oh that's a burn okay <laughs> story for dredge <laughs> so Something that happens a lot in these annuals and specials and stuff is they have these text stories, Duncan. Mm-hmm. And, oh, I freaking hate these text stories. They're the worst part of any annual. <laughs> like, for real, I'm here to see words mixed with pictures and just words. Ooh, it makes me angry. Yeah, like, in Run, Ramped, and Run, there's, like, this really cool panel of, like, our hero dodging a punch from the jerk coach. Mm-hmm. And in this one, it's just like words and stuff. <laughs> don't get me. Yeah. Well, listen, I'm, I was going to say, don't get me started, but I'm already started. Um, <laughs> this I, was, will, I will say if it was like a, I don't know if there was like more, well, let's just get into it yeah, and then we can. Uh, yeah. I'll say just generally that like, I was really self-conscious when we started doing these annuals and I'd always be like, Oh man, I just hate this, this tech story thing. But I've been buoyed up by um, by other people and like Brits who read these read these comics when they were kids, saying, "Oh yeah, w- we hated all the tech stories too." So at this point, I'm just like, "Yeah, yeah. like I'll, <laughs> okay, I'll, so I'll, I'll just wear that." You know, everybody agrees. Perfect. Uh, and I'll, I'll say also, I'm super bummed because this tech story is for Dredger, which is one of my favorite stories in action about this uh, dirty, hairy secret agent that, by mm-hmm. God, gets results. You know. <laughs> so anyway. Um, oh, I should also mention that in the uh, in, in the digital copy, we have these comics uh, in, in the scan. Some kids colored in a bunch of the letters in the title because, you know, that's how you do it. Um, are, you, are you sure that was them? Because they just like the, – one of the only colors that is like 
pervasive through this comic is red. Well, there is a red section in this annual effect that like the letters are colored in so irregularly makes me assume that's a kid <laughs> that did it. <laughs> Fair. There, I guess there is some inconsistency with this. Indeed. On, on, like reviewing it now. Yeah. So just so you know, Duncan Dredger's a tough spy uh, for the British agency DI-6 during the Cold War. He's got a partner named uh, Breed. They play rough but get results as you do. Today, a hearse is headed into East Germany, and inside, in a German in a German garage, the coffin's marked as Piotr Katten. And uh, when they open it up, they like inject the corpse with a needle, and he wakes up because he was faking his own death. Oh no! Yeah, <laughs> no, no problems there. <laughs> yeah. Meanwhile, Dredger's Dredger is hearing of Katten's death and skeptical about it. Especially because he's been buried in East Germany and he was a neo-Nazi. And, you know, despite our current world where we might conflate commies and Nazis, in fact, in uh, in real life, they did not get along very well. So it'd be weird for a neo-Nazi to be buried in East Germany where things are, are communist. Anyway. Good history lesson. Yeah, yeah, just trying to keep it in mind. I was initially thrown by it. So I'm just trying to explain it, I guess. It's, it, yeah, it, no, that's good to know. That's fascinating. It's hard to remember the spy stuff, you know, in the future, I guess. <laughs> Um, anyway, the uh, the the agents are headed to oversee a, pri- a, a prisoner exchange in Berlin when suddenly they're, they're driving a Volkswagen and a, and a Mercedes pulls up and tries to sideswipe them. A car chase breaks out and Dredger is able to blast the attacker with, with his Magnum pistol, as you do. <laughs> Mercedes crashes. Yeah, the perfect killing machine. Oh, yeah. Always, you know. Um, the car bursts into flame. And they actually, um, and, and while the people driving the car aren't initially killed, they then use the flames of the burning car to torture them to make them give give the information, which is pretty excellent. Um, yeah. Anyhow, they finally got the info that Katten's being used to assassinate one of the guys they're doing the hostage exchange for, this dude, Oblomov. Um, if he was killed during the hostage exchange, it'd be an international incident. So the guys have to stop this uh Katten guy this leads to them hitting into, heading into east germany hijacking an armed personnel carrier and blowing the hell out of Katten's funeral all as you do lots of explosions and in the usual dredger action but it's like a thousand times worse because again it's just words instead of pictures <laughs> <laughs> yeah i gotta be honest maybe if it was an actual like comic comic it would be easier to follow but not having like known dredger or breed yeah. or any of the characters in this it's just like, I'm just going to watch these two people, like, kill everyone and not have any problems and try and follow along with this weird, like, series of double crosses and stuff. Yeah, and and, and the story itself is sort of light on explanations and, and pretty heavy and just sort of, like, just general action, but not a lot of, like, why they're, why they're doing any specific thing, you know? Yeah, and definitely. They're yeah. just there, like, because that's where they can, like do the most cool damage yeah and speaking of uh confusing plans that lead to violence uh duncan (laughs) (laughs) Uh, i'm so excited for this it's story five manny action this is a story (laughs) i mean i break them up into stories i guess but you know it has a title (laughs) yeah you know but we've seen these in the comics duncan manny actions all these are rude goldberg device um devices or machines that just right. sort of try to accomplish something but end up destroying everything in their paths <laughs> right <laughs> this Seriously. time yeah this time it's a sales reps bathmobile which lets businessmen take baths on their way to business appointments 
But this one you got to be careful about because it's powered by a mallet that whacks into a whoopee cushion, which turns propeller. And sometimes the backswing of that hammer can hit the user in the head. So be careful, you know. Yeah, it'll just push your head inside of your chest cavity. Yeah, all the way down. You know, it's tough. But you can handle it. You're a businessman, you know. We're that time. You've got a big businessman wallet. (laughs) You can do this. Yeah, come on. Be like the 80s, you know. Just get a cure for your bonitis and so forth. Um, I don't know when Mad Magazine came out, but somebody owes somebody a lawsuit. That's all I'm going to say. Yeah, yeah. The art's very similar to Mad Magazine's Don Martin, for sure. Like... Yeah, there's definitely a lot of overlap in the art style here, <laughs> and just in the general tone too. <laughs> yeah, also just the, the murderous tone for sure. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And uh, speaking of pounding someone's face into the ground, Duncan. Yay! <laughs> Story six: Blackjack. <laughs> so, um, black. So the Blackjack's a story of Blackjack Baron. In the actual comics, we see him. Um, become a professional boxer and win the championship while going blind. Then after he wins the championship and goes blind, he then gets involved in like he, like he becomes one, he gets framed for like a mob murder and has to go on the run. And while he's on the run, he becomes professional, um, like singer and recording artist. And like his, uh, his songs chop the top the charts until eventually he's able to like clear his name and, stuff also he learns uh uh, karate it's complicated that's amazing (laughs) it's pretty good in the previous action special we also had a prequel story about young jack baron who'd grow up to be black jack and so that's more this one right yeah and 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 this is another one back in 1968 young jack baron's just immigrated to london from trinidad and he's going to high school where some racist kids are giving him a hard time calling him various slurs yeah Jack takes a swing at them, but gets beaten up for his trouble, and even the teachers are against, against him as they blame him for the fight that broke out. Bad times. Um, and then, and things aren't much better, um, at home where Jack's dad tells me he's got to stand up for himself and be a man and all that kind of stuff, you know. Um, toxic masculinity. Indeed. Yep. Yeah, it's bad times. <laughs> Yeah, he's got toxic masculinity at home. He's got to face like racism at school. It's, it's just, just yeah, back to back trouble for this kid. Yeah, there's no wins for Jack Barron. You know, yeah. um, a few weeks later, Jack sees the same kids bullying someone else and steps in. This time, he goes toe to toe with the lead bully, and the head teacher sort of wades in and grabs the two fighters, takes them to the gym to box them out. To box it out, I should say. The fight goes. Uh, bad early for Jack because this bully kid is a disc champion, but Jack is a natural boxer. Soon he's dodging the bully's blows and buys his time to make some big, like, little Max-style uppercut moves and stuff like that. <laughs> um, Jack wins the fight, but is then taken to a principal's, to the principal's office, basically saying that because of Jack's record of violence and troublemaking, um, as even though all this trouble was started by that bully Holman, who's named Holman, I should say, he'll be expelled at the end of the year. But Holman wants more revenge, and that night he firebombs the school, hoping that Jack will be blamed for it, which seems like a complicated plan, honestly. It does, but, I mean... Yeah, it seems to work, Jack has a a history of just getting blamed for everything, so... The next day, Jack is blamed, but the fire chief shows up with evidence, a piece of a school uniform, and they match it up to Holman, and and so so he's accused of the... uh, of the firebombing and soon his buddies are turning on him 
in hopes of not getting to trouble himself. So Holman's led away in cuffs, and Jack is de-expelled. He's repelled. Yeah. No, that's not right. Um, <laughs> Respelled. Yeah, indeed, he gets an offer to join the school boxing team. Thus begins Blackjack. And thus ends racism. Nah, like things no. got got reasonably racist in Blackjack. Like, it's, yeah, I mean, I, I have to imagine it didn't get much better. But I'm just like, one time, I, one time, I, I did. Oh, go ahead, no, sorry. please go ahead. I was just gonna say, one time he was on an ocean liner, and so I called him the N word, and he punched him off the side of the boat. It was pretty awesome. That is pretty great. I mean, in it the end, have I get in the first yeah. place, but that's what that guy gets. Yeah, in the end, for sure. Yeah, I. I was doing some research on this comic because I was kind of fascinated, and apparently, Blackjack was a couple of com or Blackjack with some other comics were introduced into Action Comics um, mm-hmm. as sort of a response to a lot of criticism um, and in an effort to have like better inclusion and representation, which is always like refreshing. Yeah, I mean, we've definitely seen that in in these eras of um, in, in both Action and 2000 AD. Actually, like 2000 AD launches or or launched with a sport with with, with, with a futuristic sports story starring uh, the Harlem Heroes, which was this all African American um, like a future sports team, basically. You okay, know, they've definitely you know like it's the. Well, sometimes it, 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 it's tokenism or something. I feel like they've done more to try to have, you know, people, some people of different races than a lot of American comic books I could think of, frankly. <laughs> like, right. And you know what? I, I think that, like, sure, you can, you can definitely, like, um, analyze it from, like, a, a token perspective. But, I mean, it's, it's for the 1970s. It, it's definitely like trying to present it as like racism is this like u- ugly thing and they're trying to like present it and vilify it, you know? So like I give them some credit for, you know, it's like a, a B for trying kind of thing, you know? Yeah. I mean, this gets sort of like these comics are real bad when it comes to, uh, to Asian stuff about like Asian people and stuff like that. So I it's mean, hard to, just in general. There's it's, like, it's hard to give them full points, but you know, there are places where they're trying to do better. So you, I, I definitely do appreciate it for that, for sure. Right. I think that I, I came away from, from Blackjack kind of more positive because I haven't read the other stories sure. in yeah. action notes yet. <laughs> yeah, definitely. But then, but then we go through this whole thing and just take a step back and I'm kind of like, was this a fluke? <laughs> what happened here? I think they just try to do different elements. I mean, so much of action, like the watchword of this action comic is to try to pick things up from the cultural zeitgeist or that sort of are popular in the era, you know? Mm. And so you can see a lot of like Muhammad Ali and others kind of brash, like sports stars in Blackjack. And sure. so they're very much trying to, try, trying to channel that into the comic, you know? So I think it's that. Is like this annual, and I guess the, are the action comics in general written by, written and illustrated by like two people or or one person, or do they change up for, for um, story? Like basically, in this era, like like a specific story will have pretty much the same writer and usually the same artist, sort of working as a team. Although a lot of times, sort of only like a, a couple people write write several stories um, in one issue. Where we haven't quite like one thing you might notice is, is there's no credits in this um, comic. Yeah, like it's a big thing in British. Like it was a big thing in British comics when they actually introduced credit cards and just things to say like who wrote this story, um, who who did the art for it. Like like that was something 
that was basically that actually started in 2000 AD and was done like by an assistant editor when the main editor w- was out of town. Like it sort of slipped in, and by the time oh, wow. and and by the time like the brass noticed it, it had already been going. It had already been happening for a couple issues, so they couldn't stop. You know. Yo. Okay. That's. I mean. So that's wild. Yeah. <laughs> that's like so, some like rebellion. Like. Yeah. For sure. I mean. De- definitely, and it's one of these things where, um, in the a- in the actual issues, I I usually try to like like th- there's a couple th- there's a book where they've sort of done some research into who wrote what, but in annuals, often th- like even in in annuals with credit cards, um, they might have different people doing the work for the annual as opposed to the ra- re- regular thing. So I just haven't been able to. It'd be impossible, really, to tell to to, to figure out who exactly is doing the art or doing the writing for these stories. Yeah, for sure. Or at least but beyond my ability. Forward, you know. Credit your creators. <laughs> yeah, come on, guys, for real. Yeah, and uh, yeah, credit them and compensate them. Jesus Christ, you know, it's the future. Yeah. Get out of here. <laughs> and speaking of um, a couple, a, a couple embattled guys fighting from behind enemy lines, Duncan. Oh my gosh, you did it. <laughs> Story seven, ski patrol. That was amazing. <laughs> Do my best, man. Um, more colored in letters as we learn about Captain Jock Dougal, an Olympic skier helping Norway fight off those invading Germans in 1940. Not, not Jack Dougal, like, as you would no, think. Jock. Very close. Very, very important. Read. Yeah. <laughs> we see him and his squad machine gunning down some German troops. And they're skiing back to Trondheim in uh, in Norway. On the way back, they come under fire from locals who think they're German. And after that's all cleared up, they kind of meet up. And one of them was a Norwegian skier that Jock competed against in the 1938 Olympics. Can I just say this? This comic has my favorite written line in the history of speech ever. Oh, nice. What, what do you got? So uh, Jock says... Good grief, it's Tor Penderson. Remember me? Jock Dougal. We competed against each other in the 38 Winter Games. And then Tor says, will I ever forget? You licked the pants off me. Whoa. (laughs) Pants licking. I don't like the sound of that. But anyway. (laughs) The Brits make their way back to base. They spot a load of German troops armed with the teeth on a train. They're headed for the port and the ski patrol decide to stop them. As the train gets close to a tunnel, the ski patrol drops grenades on them. Then once they enter it, they blow up the tunnel behind the, like the entrance behind them. And Dougal uses his Olympic speed skiing to get the other side of the tunnel in time <laughs> and blows it up too. Only the engine and a single carrier car survives. They grenade the survivors and even the train engineer just join in on the, uh, on the uh, allied <laughs> side. Yeah. It's so, perfect. It's, it's almost like the grenade is just like an eraser, and it just like removes the bad guys. Absolutely, the train. Yeah, the Jerry's are taken out, and the patrol makes their way back to Trondheim. Back at base, Dougal and his crew suggest, "Hey, man, like we should just join our Norwegian buddies up there for a spot of guerrilla <laughs> warfare." The general's super stoked about it. Like, yeah, definitely get up there. <laughs> We're not busy. Just go on. Have a good time, you yeah. rapscallion. You aren't needed elsewhere. You know, whatever. <laughs> they grab some guns and supplies and, you know, head up to the mountains, man. It's going to be awesome. And, They're you know. Skiing upwards. Who knew? <laughs> so begins the legend of, of Ski Patrol, I guess. <laughs> Join us next time when they meet the abominable snowman. 
Well, oh, I wait, will, that's later. Yeah, I, I, I will say, like, you know, just so you know, Duncan, like in, Eng- like in England, World War II comics are incredibly popular. Like, uh, yeah, like that, <laughs> I like, know that now. I'm, I'm sure you could pick that up <laughs> from the content of this annual, you know? But so a lot of the stuff in this annual is are like the first episodes of World War II stories that might have appeared in like – it like in battle or some other comic back in uh in, in like the early seventies. Okay. A lot of times in these annuals they reprint stories from about five years ago in the annual just sort of as filler. And um you know, cause kids most kids that are reading comics in nineteen seventy six wouldn't re- wouldn't remember a story from nineteen seven from nineteen seventy because they wouldn't have been reading comics at that point, you know? <laughs> sure sort of the natural turnover kind of thing. So that's what it seems like, like both the, both the wild, the wild one story and the ski patrol one. And a lot of these other ones are just sort of all, uh, all retreads from earlier comics. <laughs> I just need, you mentioned something and I just want to keep this like sort of prescient in, in the listeners minds that you said that this is a comic for children or for kids, you know? Oh yeah. Um, yeah. So Anywho, just keep that in mind when we get to the next couple of things. Definitely. Listen, these eight-year-olds love these explosions, buddy. Um, yeah, totally. <laughs> speaking of uh, things that are dangerous, uh, Duncan, story eight, they're in the danger business and just a trick. <laughs> so more filler here. Various British stuntmen doing cool stuff like tightrope walking, fiery motorcycle jumps, car balancing, train jumps, and orca riding. Watch out. <laughs> Then there's some random tricks you can do, like balancing match uh, uh, matchbooks, making a whistle, breaking threads with a magnifying glass, balancing wine glasses, all kinds of other stuff. This just so that that's what I was talking about. Like, well, first of all, they're in the danger business is always cool because it's just a reminder that before there was like you know computer gra- generated like graphic images and stuff like that. Oh yeah, we just had to like. You said to get you know, up when there. You watch old movie, yeah, exactly. <laughs> we just had to do the dang thing. Like when you watch an old movie, like we crashed that train, we dropped that house on that guy. <laughs> like absolutely, like, yeah, it's amazing. So that's I, I was really appreciative of that aspect, just sort of as like a a reminder and some perspective. Yeah, but just the trick is just like a list of ways for children to play with matches and like glass. Yeah, definitely. This is very like, uh, like it's snowing on Christmas Day, so you just got whatever you've got lying around to like mess around with. And yeah, so just pull out your knife and a pencil and try and like mess yeah. with physics. <laughs> like you know, I feel like a kid in the seventies is going to have like a pen, knife, and a matchbook on him. Probably like smokes half a pack a day. You know, it's tough. Gotta, <laughs> they're still rationing from World War Two, buddy. That's, there you go. <laughs> I mean, that counted as food back then, I think. Something, yeah. <laughs> but, um, hey, speaking of uh, exciting things in 1976, Duncan. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Story 9, Dredger. <laughs> speaking of someone who probably plays with matches and broken glass. Oh, you know it, yeah. <laughs> I'm super stoked there's a real Dredger story here as well as a text story, Duncan. I would have been yeah, so definitely. pissed if it had just been the text story. <laughs> Done dredger dirty. (laughs) I love. Oh man. Okay, I'll get into it. But listen, uh, (laughs) it's ten o'clock in 1976 as a plane lands at Foud Airport. There's a gunfight blaring, and Breed and Dredger have to find this dude, a member of the Czechoslovakian intelligence service, that wants to defect. 
Um, they're talking strategy because they gotta get they gotta get back to the airstrip by midnight when an explosion goes off and they gotta fight a shootout and they do it by exploding petrol drums. Very first person shooter moves going on here. Yeah, you know? stop ripping off video games, comic books. <laughs> get out of here. Um, yeah, <laughs> this is just so pong. I can't believe it because it's nineteen seventy-six. <laughs> <laughs> they also steal a jeep and head out to the suburbs where the Czech a- a- um, embassy is. Dredger grabbing an anti-tank missile launcher from the back seat, which is pretty handy. <laughs> yeah, that might come in handy later. This is really Chekhov's uh, anti-tank missile launcher here. <laughs> At this point, it's Chekhov's Dredger. <laughs> like, let's Always. just be honest. Yeah. At the embassy, Dredger gets some locals to ram the gate for them so that they don't mess up the jeep. They enter the yeah. embassy to get their man. Oh, but it's a trap. The KGB is using the defector as a honeypot. But before Dredger and Bree can be taken away, Dredger just straight up shoots that anti-tank missile launcher at him, just completely vaporizes the KGB guys. It's pretty awesome. Dredger, I don't think Dredger has ever had like a moment of like concern or problem in his entire life. No, man. That's... Yeah, his superpower is his supreme confidence, you know? Yeah, man. (laughs) Like... Doesn't matter. There's like video game barrels around. He's like you said. He's got a bazooka. If if he needs a distraction, he can just give like people trying to break into an embassy a whole crate of grenades. Yeah, like and it just pays off. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah, they they pile back into the jeep, head to the airstrip, easily blowing blowing away the guys attacking their plane. Soon they're airborne, and the mission is a success. Yeah, even even his like the mission had a, a tight time frame, you know. Yeah. And, and even that, it's like, oh, good, the bad guys, like, held up the plane so we can stay longer and, again, you know, get some murder souvenirs before I leave. Definitely, yeah. Just <laughs> mark them down on the old travel book, you know, killed five guys in Czechoslovakia or whatever. Oh, no, in a, in a fouled area. Um, yeah, the, uh, the, the guy they, they're helping defect says, thank heavens, and Breed thinks, thank Dredger more like. He thinks fast, <laughs> acts fast. Kills fast. <laughs> that's, that's our treasure. <laughs> Love that guy, man. So good. <laughs> so, Just kill so the shit sorry. out of you. <laughs> um, okay. And uh, speaking of our ridiculous things to say after after something, Duncan. Speaking of things that'll kill the shit out of me. Oh yeah. Story ten. Crazy captions. <laughs> And this is just some old-timey movie stills with captions for him, which aren't that great. N- none memorable to your buddy Conrad here. No, that's... The fact that you said the name is, like, already giving them too much credit. <laughs> Indeed. Yeah, and speaking of which, let's move on to Story 11. What's in a name? A white shoot, Corey. A white shoot. Uh, a white of shoot of, of courage story. Yeah, this is a... Uh, um, in the in the in the uh, action special, they had another one of these stories, which was uh, also of the white these guys in the white shoot of courage. Um, <laughs> this time, some Mustang fighter planes are on patrol and about to attack a German train when it suddenly reveals an anti-aircraft gun on the train car. The uh, attacking plane crashes, and back at base, we learn that the downed pilot is the general's son. He wants to send in a tank regiment to save him, but instead the Brits suggest sending in special squad, led by our guy, Sergeant Quinn. Uh, Quinn, you know, they're parish troopers, and Quinn always uses a white shoot to, like, prove that he's a cool dude, I guess. Uh, so whatever. brave he doesn't mind being shot at. <laughs> yeah. They're headed to Germany to grab the pilot real quickly, but once they get there, there's ascension in the ranks, 
as the pilot uh, named Nade or Gnade or whatever. He's a yeah. He, but once they capture him, he starts pulling rank. He's he's a lieutenant, as we say here in the states. And <laughs> Quinn's just a sergeant. And he's whatever, he's trying to countermand Quinn. And Quinn's like, hey, I know what I'm doing. I, I should be in charge, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> uh, they march for hours, and, ger- and and then Nade gives them away by shooting a German patrol. But it's not a patrol! Oh, it's a peasant boy looking for mushrooms. Oh, you shot a kid! <laughs> yeah. Bad as, times. As though this guy wasn't, like, a jerk enough. Yeah. <laughs> he's now shot children. Big time. Uh Quinn has the other men lead the pilot back to safety, and he carries the boy's body into town so a doctor can help him right into the teeth of the German troops. Those British are so brave. So honorable. Uh, Quinn's (laughs) taken prisoner but refuses to be taken away until he learns what happens to the kid. Um, For his compassion, the local doctor then helps Quinn escape after the kid's health is secured. He gets out of there, rejoins his troops who are waiting for for him, and then they all steal some horses, jump a nearby roadblock, and gallop back to safety. Oh yeah, um, just so good. Really, <laughs> they like just managed to just have the perfect like series of events. Definitely, just happen to have the right lengths of rope in their packs to use as bits on these stolen horses and stuff. It's good times. Yeah. Um. Back at base, the younger Nade wants to report Quinn's men, but as opposed to, like, reporting them for being jerks like he's threatening, instead he says, they're the greatest fighters ever, and they've really taught him something about himself. Oh, phew. Quinn says that (laughs) the- I love shooting kids. (laughs) Get me out there. (laughs) (laughs) Quinn says that uh, the the dog tags that the kid had had the same last name as the general and pilot Nade, which I guess means mercy in German. That's what the comic says. <laughs> All, uh, it, it was not backed up by my Google Translate, Duncan. And <laughs> all I can say is good thing that it wasn't my last name in the story because that means suffering in German. And that would be a whole different uh, kind of tale. <laughs> I didn't know your last name was actually suffering. That's yeah. Cool. Oh, yeah. Like, you know, Google Translate that shit for real. It says to <laughs> suffer. It's real bad. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> speaking of the suffering of modern men, Duncan... As we oh my gosh. try to make money in this failed capitalist state. <laughs> Story 12, The Big Steel. Um, and we've just entered the fancy part of the annual, um, as red has been added to our color palette. So we've got now black, white, and red to be all cool. Yeah, this comic is so over the top. It's like Stallone's trying to arm wrestle this comic. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Oh, man. Freaking over the top. Yeah. I don't believe in nothing. Um, Classic. A guy named Hoffer has been captured in a Central American Republic. He's been tied to a stake for a firing squad. But as he smokes his last smoke, a helicopter appears and lowers a rope ladder to him. He he grabs it, still tied to the wooden stake, and gets lifted wow. up to the inside of the helicopter. And then when he gets cut loose, he throws the, the stake like a spear to take out a pursuing chopper. Oh, it's pretty awesome. It pierces... The helicopter's blades and the shell of the helicopter is like steel. Like, I was, this dude is incredible. <laughs> I was real happy about it. I gotta say, yeah. Um, this is like the. This is what you want from comic books. This is wild. This is cool. Like, <laughs> absolutely. 
<laughs> just a lot of murder, you know. Um, so Hoffer was rescued by a guy named Rex Roth to be part of a crew to heist a bank where the mob keeps its money to be laundered. Now, I don't think this is actually how banks work, where if they have got $6 million to be laundered, it just sits in the bank. I think like the bank actually it, does it stuff with it. Mafia bank. Yeah, fair I'm enough. I'm, I'm not going to get too deep into it. Um, <laughs> there's problems in the ranks, though, as a fight breaks out between this guy with a weird-shaped head named Miller. Or no, 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 sorry. Between Miller, who's a black dude, and Snyder, who's a dude with a, who's racist with, with a weirdly-shaped head. Um, yeah. Hoffer helps break it up, like shooting the guns out of their hands. And soon, they're in, in this town, dropping tear gas and breaking into the bank vaults. Using Hoffer's demolition experience. Which is why they needed to rescue him from South America. Definitely. The crew stack in cash as the police arrive, but as the final bags of money are taken, Snyder makes his move, blasting Rex Roth in the face with a shotgun and locking Miller and Hoffer in the, in the bank vault. Oh, no. <laughs> and that's a pretty intense, like, panel of, like, the, the pretty, guy getting shot. Yeah, pretty good face shooting here, you know? Um, <laughs> This is definitely pre-censorship. Oh, yeah. No. I mean, this is not the most graphic <laughs> shotgun to the face I've seen in the course of reading action, for sure. Um. <laughs> yeah. Well, you should, y'all should check out Preacher mm. if you want that. Indeed. Miller quickly pulls the old blow out the walls, not the door of the safe trick. Um, Brilliant. Which makes um, – and then – and that in turn takes out the oncoming cops. And now the race is on to catch that dirty dog, Snyder. <laughs> The um, uh, Miller and Hoffer chase Snyder in a stolen pickup truck. They soon catch up to Snyder, who's in like this eighteen wheeler. But their bu- and the bullets can't da- can't damage the co- the vehicle. So, but shooting like the back of the trailer does lower like the the loading ramp of the uh, of the trailer. And emphasis they, on the ramp. <laughs> yeah, they drive up that ramp into the uh, cargo container on the back of the truck. Drive through that and through the front of it into the cab of the truck, squashing Snyder to death. They also dr- then causes Snyder to drive into a cliff face. <laughs> yeah. But uh, Hoffer's car is totally fine. Don't worry, y'all. Listen, you know he was going fast, so it's sort of uh, you know he was able to push his way through. I guess. <laughs> Exactly. And yeah, yeah, everything seems fine, though, until they kind of reach a rendezvous point, And then Miller crosses Hoffer, too. Oh, man, there's no honor among thieves. Oh, no. And things get worse because there is that cross. But then there's a double cross as Miller's partner sh- partners shoot both H- Miller and Hoffer with machine guns from a helicopter. Yeah, we're at like a full-on triple cross right now. There's a lot of different. Yeah, there's a cross, double. Yeah, a lot of crosses going on. <laughs> Hoffer fires back and destroys the helicopter. That's the second helicopter he's destroyed this comic. And right. <laughs> he thinks that he, it was all for nothing, but then realizes that the bag that Miller tossed at him to distract him was actually one of the bags full of money. He's made $20,000, which ain't bad at all. <laughs> is this like a, a recurring character? Or no. Is this your this, first time? Yeah, I've never seen this guy before. He just showed up and decided <laughs> to be extremely badass for like six pages. It's pretty good. <laughs> This comic, maybe it's because it's red or something like that, but this comic feels so, like, madcap and grindhouse. Definitely. Yeah, (laughs) it's just, it's all the elements of, like, a heist movie with none of the in-between parts, you know. Like, no no (laughs) time for character development or people talking about things. We just got to get to these action set pieces, you know. How do we tell this story in four pages? Absolutely. (laughs) 
How do we tell this story in zero pages? Hey, speaking of... Oh, stepping on my lines. Story 13, Johnny Zero. <laughs> Duncan, Johnny Hale. He's yeah. flying a Spitfire in the Battle of Britain. He's taken out 10 Jerry planes so far. We see him getting a dogfight with a few more Germans tonight. Takes down several, but his plane catches fire and he's forced to bail out. Spends several months recovering from his burns. And by the time he's healed up, the Battle of Britain is over. Spends some time helping to train new British pilots. But when the Japanese enter World War II, he volunteers to join the Royal Australian Air Force to fight them. Oh yeah. <laughs> out there finally. They, Yeah, finally. Out there they fly wildcats and the uh Australian pilots aren't impressed by his European kill count. Hale goes up to fly but finds the wildcats way slow in comparison to the Spitfire. It's all he can do to just dodge Japanese zeros while the pilots uh, Aussie pilots take them out. They're calling him Johnny Zero cuz he hasn't shot down any planes. But well, he'll so show them. You've not killed anyone. <laughs> Yeah, come on, buddy. Like, that's what we're here for. <laughs> um, he's he's got to get used to the Wildcats, so he signs up for some patrols to get used to, like, handling them, and continues his arguments with the Aussie ace, Croyle. Um, though the ground crew likes his moxie, of course. Later, yeah, of course, because he talks back. Yeah, you know, he does what he, he stands up for himself, or something. Um, later on patrol, Hale spots a squadron of Zeros headed for his base, radios it in, and holds station until backup comes. The, uh, as the Zero's near the base, Johnny opens fire and takes and takes one of them out. And he's sort of like shooting down Zero's and dodging friendly anti-aircraft fire and stuff. It's pretty cool. After the raid is thwarted, everybody's pretty, you know, down with hail, except for that Croyle guy. But that doesn't stop the two of them from being wingmen on a patrol to go after some Japanese artillery. <laughs> as Croyle flies... Uh, Flies low and attracts fire. Hale flies high and eventually manages to find the, the gun emplacements and uses his incendiary rounds to uh, blow them up, as you do, lighting their camo nets and exploding their ordnance and stuff. But he does take some hits. On his way back, though, he sees Croyle took even more damage and has crashed his plane, and he gloats about it when he gets there because he's destroyed the guns and it looks like Croyle's joined the infantry because he's got to walk because, you know, he got shot down and all that stuff. Good times. Oh, I thought that Croyle got captured. This painted, like, my whole read on Johnny Zero was so negative. No, like, I think it's just that he had to walk back, like, from his crash plane, not that he was actually captured. Okay, I don't know. That's good. It's, I mean, leading up to all of this, like, you know, they're just talking about, like, shooting people in planes as though they're just, like, scoring points. And, like, you mentioned yeah. earlier about being really problematic towards, like, Asian cultures. Like, that's pretty strong in here um, i mean it's you know he they were just as callous about it for shooting down germans for the record you know like <laughs> yeah. just just a lot of bravado among these uh, uh fighter pilots you know true i know so then for me to have that reading of like oh well he i mean for sure he definitely used this guy as bait <laughs> so that he a could little, shoot like a little bit yeah i mean this is very much one of these things where you got to imagine this is sort of part one of like a 10,000 part like a soap opera, you know, so sure. there's going to be points where they sort of, you know, trade wins and losses back and forth and stuff like that. Right. I'm just saying like they were supposed to be on a team and immediately Johnny Zero's like, peace out. <laughs> he goes and he 
he lets the, his other dude get shot down. Yeah, man. Listen, like, Johnny Zero's out there for himself. We all know that. You know, that's why yeah. he's, he's just trying to get a high score. Yeah. He's oh, one of these oh. freaks, buddy. And speaking of that. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> story 14 Flying Freaks Soccer Session and Puzzles. <laughs> no, no, not puzzles. Big filler section here, everybody. Yep. First, there's a, a selection of unusual planes of World War II. There's the uh, Vickers Wildebeest, which is the uh, a World War II-era biplane. The BV-141, a uh, asymmetrical German plane with like a cruise section next to the actual propeller and engine part. There's the Polish PZL-11C, the first plane to fight the Nazis and has this uh, unusual gull-wing wing design. And the BV-138, which is a three-engined a uh, German plane with a forward dome machine gun that looks real weird. And these are something that really, like, less so in action, but uh, uh, definitely in, like, all these other war comics, you know. Kids love these crazy diagrams, uh, like, detailed diagrams of, like, planes and vehicles and other things like that. And it's just That's a way to fair. sort of show that. I don't know. When I was growing up, I, you know what, like, this doesn't really do anything for me, but I will admit, growing up as a kid, I, like, tried my best to memorize every little piece of a diagram on like a lightsaber and stuff yeah. like that. So. No, I mean, I, I remember like when I was a kid, yeah, there'd be stuff for like a tank or a fighter jet or like a Lamborghini or something like that. Yeah. Like a, like a lightsaber too. just, you know, it's cool to see like diagrams and how these random things like kind of work or what, what their different exactly. pieces are and stuff like that. Next up, soccer session. We've seen a lot of these in regular action, which is just kind of like, here's a page of sports tips, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> it seems so so the opposite of who you'd think would be reading a comic, but I don't know. <laughs> These kids are going to, oh, I, I know how to play soccer. I read it on a single page of a comic book. Well, like three three quarters of a page in the comic book, because in our scanned yeah. versions, this page is ripped out of the, uh, of the or part of this page. We was, also was missed ripped out, out on the sweet puzzle, which Definitely. looks like a wheel of numbers. Yeah, the next page is also a bunch of puzzles. There's some scrambled food words, um, uh, connect the dots of an elephant that has not been connected very well by this comic's <laughs> well, maybe previous this reader. Is, this is more the, more of the uh, just built-in red coloring in this comic, right? No, man, this kid's terrible. Get out of here. Anyway. <laughs> Comedically bad at connect the dots. Yeah, we probably missed one or two and then blew up. And speaking of someone unable to control their temper... <laughs> Story 15 Fireball Alright, alright Duncan Yeah Everdale United yeah. is a small soccer team But suddenly right winger Johnny Ball, the Fireball Goes off He's dodging through the entire opposing team Including the, oppo the goalie He makes a massive goal And he's being scouted by some of the big teams And they're amazed by his sweet moves Northam United manager Steve Roach wonders why Ball hasn't been snapped up by the other team, by, by any of the other teams. And we get a sense of it after the half when an opposing player tackles Ball hard and uh, he gets up and like punches him right in the face and gets kicked out. Right. Well, so I think wasn't the guy like trying to flop or something like that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like he that? like he he uh, he he tackled Ball really hard and then kind of rolled around like he'd been hurt in the uh, in right. the exchange. And Ball's like, flopping, not on my watch, and just socks him <laughs> right in the face. Yeah, I'll give you something to flop about. Woo! 
Um, yeah, his Let's temper is just too... the pop about. <laughs> Get out of here. You, his... okay. No, no, no. Listen, always here for uh, song parodies. <laughs> but Bo's temper is too hot for the pros. After the game, though, they do offer him a chance to transfer to North Ham. And on the train to the stadium, Ball gets yelled at for the conductor for putting his feet up on the seats and almost gets a fight, gets in a fight with him. And you know what? This sounds kind of newsworthy to me. I guess so. Um, they, they, they get kicked off the train. They got to drive the rest of the way. They see a TV or news report where their conductors like recounting the whole thing to the press. <laughs> wild. I, it's I, so wild. I, I've had such a fast turnaround on that seriously. story. <laughs> well, I, I will say that like in 1976, they're really worried. Like there's a big thing about like soccer hooliganism that, that everybody's really worried about. Like that's a big thing in the news. Actually, one of the things that um got action like censored was there was a soccer story and somebody uh throws a bot like like it's like like a kid playing soccer against the opposing team and from mm-hmm. the stands there's a main there's a plot point where the the uh, protagonist's girlfriend throws a bottle from the stands at one of the um enemy wow. players and people saw that and were like oh this comic's promoting soccer hooliganism we got to get rid of it you know yeah, for sure. It's a, and so, oh my gosh, <laughs> they're sort of they're sort of framing this news report as soccer fans are hooligan enough, but now the players are out of control. Oh, <laughs> you know, look at the violence in their comic books. Oh, you gotta get rid of it all. <laughs> exactly. Under a cloud, Johnny goes to practice the next day, and he's super awesome. And hopefully trying to justify the bad press. But that night, he's checking out London when he sees an old guy getting mugged. He goes to stop them, starts beating one of the muggers up, and punches him almost to death. Oh, there's even more bad press. (laughs) Which is, again, like, (laughs) the dude was like a mugger. (laughs) He was defending this old guy. Come on, you know. Give it, like, a little leeway. (laughs) No, no leeway. Now the press is scented blood. They're going to cover this story till the end of time. Um, Damn the, it, uh, Nightcrawler. Yeah. The, the the board of the soccer team meets, and they let Steve Roach, the manager, know that if Johnny loses his temper the next match, then they're both out. Oh, no. The game Does get, that happen? Well, we'll see, I guess. You know, the game gets going. <laughs> Ball seems to be playing really cautious, but eventually one of the opponents decides to poke that bear. He elbows Ball in the gut, but this time, Johnny just focuses his anger onto playing soccer real good. Oh, thank goodness. Sooty scoring points and being super good on the field. They've won the game, and Johnny says he'll only lose his temper on a football. Oh. This this comic starts out like a Twilight Zone episode, I swear. <laughs> like, totally. What if a man was so good at soccer but was cursed with anger issues and bad luck? <laughs> like, the news only cares about him. <laughs> like, but then he yeah. just decides to not be angry. <laughs> Definitely, yeah. Listen, this is an easier solution than you'd imagine, I guess. Um, yeah, have you ever thought about just not being mad? Whoa. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> my life hack. My life hack. <laughs> That's a good one, for sure. Yeah. yeah. You won't be as destructive. Huh. And speaking of which, Story 16, Destruction Derby. <laughs> Gotta high five you, Duncan, because you, you, you really helped me out with these. Uh, <laughs> do what I can. Yeah. Uh, there's two pages of Demolition Derby pictures. Ooh, it's tough out there. This <laughs> got me, like, I, I at first I was like, oh, man, like, Demolition Derby, that's so 1970s. They, they never do those anymore. But then I looked oh, up and found, like, a fair amount of Demolition Derby sort of near me in my area. 
So. Yo, I was I was getting a burrito last night, and on TV there was like monster trucks and demolition derbies going on. That's amazing. Uh, yeah, and so for timestamp, Scooby Doo Monster Truck won, so everyone can go check out that. <laughs> I like a monster truck, man. That's good. That's good watching. It was pretty good, honestly. After having like a long sort of uh, drought of monster truck in my life, I was not opposed to seeing some monster trucks. Yeah, I mean, I don't think it's an every weekend thing, but maybe like once a year <laughs> you could check out yeah, Truckosaurus exactly. or Treat whatever. Yourself. Yeah, I w- yeah. I w- Treat your all, all the fifty-year-old uh, English people listening to this comic. <laughs> Treat yourself to a monster truck. Yeah, come on, take the time. Uh, and the one thing I have to say against Destruction Derby, mm-hmm. there's some of these pictures have black text on a black image. Mm. It's illegible. <laughs> Indeed, yeah. I mean, some of that's like the scan or something like that, but it, it does get pretty rough in here. <laughs> and speaking of getting pretty rough, Story 17, Death Game 1999, a second text story. Duncan, get out of here. <laughs> What, uh, I thought we bought a comic. What's going on? Yeah, this uh, is a book. <laughs> although I think this is actually a, a pretty late addition to this annual. Like usually, when the annuals come out, they start working on them in like March or something. And I don't think Death Game had started in the comic at that point. But they are like in like the letters pages in the actual issues of Action. They are talking it up a lot. Like oh, like Death Game is going to be in the annual, guys. Check it out. And I feel like having it just be um, a text story it makes for a really quick turnaround, you know? Sure, sure. I mean, you know, <laughs> Rollerball is only going to be popular for so long. I can't, I can't stress enough, all right, that Death Game 1999 is 100% Rollerball. Like, I mean, part of, the, part of the thing of action is that a lot of times it is sort of bringing versions of movies that maybe kids couldn't watch or that, that had been popular but weren't in theaters anymore to the page, you know? Like, right. Dredger's basically a mix of, like, James Bond and Dirty Harry, for instance. <laughs> uh, we sort of talked about uh, Blackjack being like Muhammad Ali. You know, Hook Jaws, yeah. clearly Jaws. Like, there's no reason to be a jerk about <laughs> it, you know? Um, yeah. And, like, yeah, Death Game 1999 is obviously Rollerball. Although, <laughs> I should say, in the actual comic, you can see some, di- like, it's very similar, but there are some differences just because it's basically uh, pinball played on ice. If I was going to say, I was imagining this, and I was like, do you know what's wrong about soccer, Conrad? It's um, that it's not played on ice with prisoners riding motorcycles who are allowed to murder each other. I mean, that is like something that soccer doesn't have, for sure. <laughs> it's, it's left me wanting. Mm, yeah, listen, they got bikes that have like big like nails in the tire so they can grip the ice and stuff like that. It's pretty cool. <laughs> A friction, they can, they got cannons that can fire frictionless balls and stuff like that. It's awesome. Yeah, um, <laughs> totally. But so. Got hockey sticks that they throw at people. Always, yeah. This story, Duncan. <laughs> Death game. Yeah, there's some guy named Maddock who's, who we, we open with him being killed by prison guards at the end of a spinball game. And yeah, in we, media res. Yeah, we flash back to a young Maddock playing the game of spinball. We kind of learn the rules in text format. And we and if, if you get enough points, you you, you can go free basically. Um, right. We run through a few games. We learn how bloody spinball is, and all the usual sort of spinball stuff here. In the end, he dies from the guards. Manages to take the pri- the uh, deputy prison go- governor with him. I hate these text stories, so I'm just going over it real fast. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> I hate that's I, I hate words, Duncan. <laughs> it's super fair, man. I, but I I want to say like well one any society <laughs> that found like 
that its foundation on like getting out of prison is how many people can you murder for our entertainment? Like, yeah. do you want them back? You know, like this is this whole thing is really sort of like sports neo noir. I feel like, mm. um, and yeah, I mean it's it, I, it's pretty grim. I mean, I mean, Rollerball is pretty grim, honestly. You know, because the whole point totally. is is that like. It's a, people are supposed to die in it all the time, and sort of the idea of someone actually getting and becoming a hero from it is not the plan of Rollerball. It's it's very much the same thing in the actual Death Game comic. Like um, the the comic isn't about uh, Matic; it's about some other guy, uh, Joe Taggart, and okay. he starts winning some games and getting real close to earning enough, to like progressing far enough to earn his freedom. And like then like some like men in black from the government kind of show up and tell like the the warden the prison like hey you got to like take care of this Taggart guy we can't have people actually winning their freedom in this game they got to die while trying to win their freedom thank you very much <laughs> yeah exactly we got to rig this Carney game yeah get out of here um, I yeah. think that like it it presents some interesting ideas with regards to like what we tolerate for like violence for entertainment and, mm-hmm. and how we like are willing to accept prisoners into society, but it's so short and it doesn't really give any time to like sink its teeth in these concepts that it's setting up. So it just feels like it's wholesale ripping off rollerball. Oh d- yeah, definitely. I mean, I feel, yeah, I think, I mean, honestly, even regular, like the regular comic is still like, yeah, okay. Like I saw rollerball, I'm down, but like it does get a little bit of a chance to kind of be on its own, especially with the actual game and just being a weird, like pinball on ice kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I, you know what, this might be going a little far to say, but, um, I think that rollerball ball or not rollerball, but spinball? death. Death De- game and what it sets up and its commodification uh, of prisoners. I'll just go out there and say that death games for losers. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Story eighteen: Sports not for losers. <laughs> sports not for losers. It's back. Um, so this <laughs> is a sto- yeah. This is a story that was in action um, originally. Okay. It was, it was the story about how uh, this guy Dan broke his leg. At a uh, at, at um while hurtling and forced his brother to like uh, stop being a screw up and start doing the hurdles for him and they like earned their dad's respect and stuff like that. It was a whole thing. Wait, there's a separate comic that has the exact same story as this comic, and it's I'm, the same two brothers. Like this what? <laughs> this is like a prequel to that main co- to that first co- oh, to, that, to that first comic. Okay. <laughs> But it's like a prequel that's like five months before the next before the actual comic starts. Right, and it's also the exact. It sounds like it's pretty much beat for beat the same thing. Oh yeah, <laughs> oh yeah. Well, well, I mean, I mean, part like like Dan doesn't get injured in this one. Um, in the in the actual thing, he he like was like had to like broke his leg and had to be on crutches for like six months. Okay, and there was a lot more acrimony. They, 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 they got like kicked out of their house and stuff like that. And like Len, there, there's a lot more hijinks. Like Len goes to like juvie or borstal, as they call it in England, and he gets like recruited by a college and stuff like that. I don't know. Wow. <laughs> I mean, you know, it was like uh, ten issues of a comic, so there's a lot going on with it. Sure, I think it's so funny. Like Len, it's a very goofus and gallant, like kind of. Oh yeah, structure that they have going on here. But, like, so, you know, there's the obvious stuff, like, oh, you know, Len smokes cigarettes, and he, like, plays hooky, and he writes swear words on the blackboard. But, like, it really, the constant through line of this comic is, like, 
The worst thing about Len is he hates sports. Definitely, yeah. <laughs> he's a monster. He should be hung until dead. <laughs> yeah, he's just a ridiculous non-sports liker, man. Get out of here. No. What is wrong with him? <laughs> <laughs> totally. Why does so, he hate sports? Yeah. Yeah, so listen, man. Dan's training. Len's goofing off. Teacher calls him out on it. There's a scuffle. And later we le- we see a Len just ditching out of school to go to the flicks, man. He's got to see yep. those flicks. Later, a cop asks Dan where Len is because Len has stolen the guy's wallet. Dan has to bring the – oh, sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, like, this dude is just trying to – he has so much free time to be causing uh, mud. Definitely. Listen, he's just out there trying to have a bad time, buddy. Yeah. (laughs) Dan – anyhow, um, the uh, – he – the cops force Dan to bring them to his house, and when Len gets home, all oh, the cops and everybody are waiting for him. He's a rat. <laughs> but the victim identifies that Len was not the guy who stole his wallet, so he's free. But he still has Is to. He? S- no, because he's escaped punishment, but in return, he apparently has to get into sports. I guess. <laughs> Oh, his I don't punishment know. for not doing a crime is he has to do sports. <laughs> the worst thing about Len is he hates sports, and if he doesn't do it, I will murder him. <laughs> Play those sports. <laughs> <laughs> they Dan volunteers Len to run the 400-meter hurdles at the next track meet, <laughs> and we learn that one of the other guys in the race is Spindle Leg, the top runner for Slag Street, and one of the street rivals of Len. <laughs> During the race, Len draws even with Spindle, but Spindle elbows him. Still, it's not enough, and Len wins the race. Afterwards, <laughs> yeah. Afterwards, Dan observes Spindle going for the lockers, and he's planting the stolen, like that stolen wallet from earlier, in Len's coat. The cops are called, and Spindle's taken away. Len's okay for now, and hopefully someday he'll learn that sports not for losers. <laughs> he does everything that people ask of him like after like the halfway point of this comic yeah and no, he's, he's still his brother's like i'm gonna make him play sports so help me god <laughs> oh, stop get this deadbeat out of my family by gar <laughs> i'm gonna bury him with a golf club <laughs> absolutely <laughs> um, anyhow we are moving on to story 19 puzzles and posers and it's a laugh um, listen, more filler here, some word searches, mazes, a word scramble, people playing cricket at night in front of a spooky castle, and then just some, uh, comics, like lions huddling, a big old parrot, some mismatched legs to the hospital, and gigantic cattle brands. <laughs> just more quick things to just kind of, you know, have some, have some yucks before we get back to the serious action, and speak... Oh, go ahead, Duncan. No, I was just going to say, I finally, like, just in listening to you talk, I pieced something together. Whoever wrote these It's a Laughs clearly got a job, like, writing comics for gum or something at some point in their life. I mean, these feel very much like you just bought, like, a, like they, you bought, like, a joke book and just sort of, like, find some random page and then illustrate what's written on in, in those jokes, you know? Right. It's these, we have to come up with a bunch of jokes that are maybe funny to no one, but, like, <laughs> upsetting to nobody also yeah they're clearly identified as jokes where they um spark laughter however is a more complicated question (laughs) and speaking of things that that are no laughing matter duncan (laughs) story 20 hellman of africa core 
So on the main timeline, Major Kurt Hellman of, uh, you know, Germany in World War II, of uh, the uh, tank company Hammer Force is on the Russian front. But now we're going back in time to when we were in the blazing dunes of North Africa. We uh, see a British aircraft downed by some German fighters, and the survivors are strafed by them as well. A few that survive have to get walking. The lieutenant colonel aboard has vital documents for General Auchinleck, who's like the uh, one of the British commanders in North Africa. Meanwhile, Rommel, Rommel's going real hard against the British forces, and at the forefront is Major Kurt Hellman. We see Hellman take down some Brits. He butts and butt heads with SS guys, who are always his uh, big foil in these uh, German army adventures. Yeah, they, so is he like a good, <laughs> yeah, like a good bad guy? What's going on? I mean, Hellman's definitely the good guy, and he's like a German officer who is very like patriotic and has a lot of big feelings about honor and stuff like that. And he's opposed by both sort of the Allied forces that he's fighting against, and within like German high command. Like the SS guys that are really, really depicted as like being very dishonorable and bloodthirsty and stuff like that. Sure. Um, I mean, it's a soldier without a country. Yeah, it's something we've talked about a lot in the course of Hellman, where it's really weird to be rooting for him to like help. Like, even as he holds his nose about it, he's still kind of helping Hitler conquer Europe and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, So that's the part where just like, could not swallow this pill. <laughs> yeah, no. I mean, it's very much like like that. He that he doesn't like the German or like he he doesn't like Hitler. He doesn't like the SS. He's got a lot of problems with like the current political situation, but he's still also like winning battles for it and stuff. That makes right. him seem kind of like a hypocrite, like, like like kind of a hypocrite or, or or definitely very weird. You know, he's a, he's not a great character, or he's an interesting <laughs> character. But also when it's got a lot of internal co- contradictions, I'd say. Right. Exactly. I mean, it doesn't matter how much you don't like him if you're still helping <laughs> helping yeah. the quote unquote bad guys win or whatever. Absolutely, like, yeah. I mean, this again, this is a conversation we've had a lot about Hellman. But I think it's sure. But I mean, I, I think that's proof that he's an interesting character because you can kind of have this these sort of discussions about it. But right. it I makes just, it I'm makes him sure a weird choice like, for like a children's comic or something like right. that. I think like giving the the read like any sort of positive read that you take away from this might be doing the the yeah. creator some favors. You know what I mean? Like giving them the benefit of the doubt maybe more than I mean, I don't know. Like the, like the these sorts of stories are popular at the time. Like just because there's so many World War II stories, it's only like, you know, you have kind of these German stories that are basically like um a horror story from the vampire's perspective or something like that, you know. Sure. And so to have a hero in that, you've got to have a more honorable vampire that isn't into what those other vampires are doing, you know? Oh, I get Blade now. I get it. Okay. Ooh, yeah, you got to think about it. Anyway. Yes, some <laughs> MFers are always trying to ice skate uphill. Blade. Anyway. <laughs> so the SS guys are going after that lieutenant colonel from the crashed plane, and Hellman's boss wants him to find him first. So Hellman heads out in a pair of scout cars to comb the desert. They're traveling light to increase speed, but things get bad and they're spotted by some uh, hurricane fighters and they take out one of the jeeps. Hellman comes back with a machine gun and shoots those and shoots that plane down. At night, Hellman and his men follow lights to a sheik's tomb, which is being used to uh, by the SS guys to um, like film the dying moments of those um, 
British troops for propaganda purposes. Oh, they're real evil. <laughs> the uh, lieutenant colonel goes down cursing Hitler's name, which is pretty cool, but angers the SS, the SS guy and sends Hellman to action. He kills the SS men, and that looks bad. And they get and they get worse when he heads outside the tomb and notices that the lights go out, have gone out, and everybody else is dead because it's a British raid. Oh, no. Luckily, um, he's able to signal his buddies sort of sitting outside the, t- the uh, tomb with a scout car. And they get the j- drop on the Brits with the machine gun. And Hellman lets them go because he's got to feel better than the superior to the SS guys for so his mercy. Weird. You know? Like, what yeah. is this war that we're doing? <laughs> Definitely, man. Hellman returns to his lines and rushes into battle, like gets back in his tank and rushes into battle against some attacking Brits. He manages to flank them, and after the battle, he still delivers those uh, stolen documents to the general. So I guess the Nazis win again, but they did it the right way. So good times, I guess. Fair, fair, fair match. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, it, it is very much the sort of thing that we always have with Hellman about having these discussions, but. You know, I think it is an interesting, like, it's it's an interesting idea for a character, for sure. Sure. You know, if you're going to be creative, <clears throat> you can do stories about anyone, you know. Yeah. Even a freaking Action Man. Story 21. Action Man Diary 77. Just the trick. And Action Mouse. So, okay, Duncan. <laughs> Who? There's this guy, Steve McManus. He was the assistant editor of um, Action when it first launched. And in a lot of these British comics, they'll have a, a character who sort of presents the comic. Like, imagine, like, okay, do you remember uh, the Cartoon Express on USA? Yeah, that sounds super familiar. Well, like, it was like a cartoon block on a cable channel, and they'd have, like, the idea was that all the cartoons were aboard this big train. Or like the, uh, the Toonami guy. In, yep. in, in, in yeah, the spaceship like Stig, and Tsunami. or Kablam. I know what you're talking about. But, like, it's sort of this character that's the host for this block of shows, basically. Right. And um, in these British comics, a lot of times they'll have a character that is the host for the comic, basically. Or usually they'll be, like, an editor or somehow be presenting these stories to you. And be sort of a central character that's related to the comic that then sort of you can interface with and write letters to and other things like that. Uh, okay. For 2000 AD, it's Alien Editor Tharg. And for <laughs> action, it's uh, Steve McManus, the Action Man. Who? Am I yeah. supposed to know who this is? No. Is this a famous no. person? No, I mean, okay. he's he's famous in the world of British comics for, like, being a comics editor for a couple key, like, like comics things. Okay, okay. And I think he's a pretty cool dude, to be honest. But, like... He seems um, to have a lot of really cool pictures. You definitely, like, if you don't know anything about British comics, there's, you, you shouldn't be coming in and ex- being expected to know this guy. <laughs> I um, just, this is just, a, to me, this is just a segment where someone, like, convinced Action Comics to kind of... Let him use a section as his own personal, like, Instagram story. Yeah, I mean, it's very much like every episode of the comic would he'd sort of have a little editorial and tell you what to look for in this week's issue and stuff like that. And so uh-huh. this section is basically recounting the stunts that he's done over the course of the comic, sort of from issue one to the present, basically. I see. There's definitely some, like, um, some sort of, like, k- crossover, I would say. You know, yeah. He's, like, like, a giant snake, or he's in army garb 
Yeah, I mean, a lot of these were like, you know, in the actual comic, he'd, he'd sort of have a longer explanation about what he did and how he did it and how it was scary and stuff like that. He just, just has different stunts, you know? Sure. Like, breathes fire, deals with some cons- boa constrictors, does an obstacle course, climbs a fire ladder, stuff like that. It's, yeah. It's cool if you've sort of got some experience with action and kind of know what's going on with this, I guess. Sure. Um, next up, it's time for some some more weird tricks. Like uh, using a match to suck an egg into a milk bottle or breaking a pencil with a one-pound note or making fireproof paper for some reason. <laughs> that fireproof paper is dangerous as heck. Yeah, definitely. And, and also, like, why are they teaching children so many different, like, bar bet games? <laughs> I mean, you know, this is very much like guys in, like, their, like, 20s and 30s trying to be like, oh, what could we teach those kids to do? Oh, I know. <laughs> you know, stuff like that. <laughs> totally. Finally, then, we get we get to uh, Action Mouse, the comic mascot of Action Comic. Yeah, the spy versus spy. Yeah, he very much predates Danger Mouse, and like it's hard to tell how much one influenced the other, you know. Um, but it's, it's yeah, especially this time as Action Mouse puts on a mouse and a fedora and becomes a private eye. Yep, <laughs> just, it's just that simple. He uh, braces a kid who launches into the sky with a slingshot, lands on a cat, and gets a reward for capturing it. Got some yeah. bucks on the on for this job. Who dis punk dredger, eh? <laughs> he is he just annoys people to success. <laughs> yeah, you know, that's that's a move. You know, it's very ace venture, to be honest. Yeah, um, definitely. This is such like a palate cleanser of a comic though. Especially <laughs> after everything. Yeah, no, it'll 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 get you ready for um just some shark eating shark eating dudes after the after the after the German stuff. Yeah. And that takes us to Story 22, Hookjaw! <laughs> Hookjaw's the standout star of action, just so you know. Like, yeah, he, Hookjaw gets color. Like, Yeah, no, he yeah gets the color. Like, he's, um, of of all the action stories, Hookjaw's the only guy, the only one who's had his adventures collected into, like, a graphic novel and okay. stuff. He's very much the character that, that everybody re- remembers from action. Because, you know... He freaking eats people, and they Rules. do not shy away from showing you it, you know? Yeah. Yeah, Hookjaw's <laughs> dope. Yeah. A weather service plane is out in the Caribbean. It spots a Russian trawler getting rocked by the waves during an oncoming hurricane. The ship hits some rocks and is about to sink, and the weather plane reports this to their bosses. as three men escape on a life raft, um, not knowing that Hookjaw is there. Oh, no. I mean, hooray. Yeah, just so you know, Duncan, like previously, some fishermen tried to like harpoon Hookjaw and right. the hook and the hook from the harpoon got lodged in like its lower jaw. So now yeah, it's a shark I, with a spear coming out the bottom of its mouth that it can use to like, you know, uh, right. harpoon shin is not as good of a name. Um, it's pretty awesome. <laughs> I I was just going to say like, Coming into this comic blind, I when I as soon as I finally saw like the harpoon chin, like mm-hmm. I just cannot distance myself from the fact that someone threw a, a harpoon in this shark's butt. <laughs> like no, 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 it went, up... <laughs> it went through his mouth, and then he ate those guys alive. So you know, it all, it's all uh, turnabout is fair play. You know. Wow. Okay. <laughs> Thank goodness for that. Then yeah. The harpoon equipped shark destroys the raft, and the Russians and the rest of them are eaten by sharks as well. Um, now only the U.S. knows where that Russian spy boat is, and they're going to try to figure it out. They send out Commander Karen to recover the gear, 
or to recover his spy gear and stuff. He's the, he's got a mini sub and he sends a, 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 a sailor and, and a, a guy named Hank down there to get that stuff. Sailor and Hank. <laughs> it seems like an easy job until Hookjaw bites off the ship's propeller. Oh no. You know what? Hookjaw should just be left to his own devices. Like yeah. if you're, if you're facing a shark that's willing to eat metal, like, just stay where you are. It's okay. You don't need to go in that part of the ocean. I can't stress enough that Hookjaw's eaten a whole bunch of humans in his time. Like, and led to the deaths sure. of many more. You know, it's bad times. Hookjaw's a super, like, super genius shark. Oh, yeah. He's practically like, taking out the submarine. And sometimes he's, like, the size of, like, a, a, a of a giant boat, too. He kind of changes size as, <laughs> as needed based that's on perfect. the art. I always want... I always wanted a, a shark with like Hulk disease. Definitely, yeah. You know, he <laughs> grows and shrinks to fit the bill. You know, <laughs> um, the so, so the shark the uh, the craft is being crippled, and Karen realizes that the shark is hooked jaw, and soon the the subs are mobilized at the bottom of the ocean. Hank swims out to try to deal with hook jaw, but that's a terrible plan. <laughs> he can, <laughs> I can fight this shark in its own element. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just as good shark at fighting in water definitely that's i specialize in shark fighting um and yeah just like the, like hookjaw just bites his arm off then surfaces yeah. to chew him to pieces up in front of everybody on the ship like i mean <laughs> your buddy look at me <laughs> yeah that's how sharks give people the middle finger is just definitely. eating them on land yeah l- lazily eating your friend as it looks at you like what are you gonna do huh come why get don't you it. come out here and save him yeah so the Navy guys got to do something, and back on shore they approach Wolf Kincaid, owner of a Sharkarium, which seems like Is that se- a thing? <laughs> I hope not, because <laughs> this thing really seems like Sea World, but with sharks, like straight up to people like riding sharks around a tank and stuff like right. that. Especially which, dangerous because he's already showing that he's like lost a limb. Yeah, like that's dangerous with orcas. I feel like it's even worse with sharks. Right, exactly. <laughs> but uh, this guy was like raised by Seminole uh, Native Americans, and he lost an arm to a shark. But now he's got an iron arm that he uses to like punch sharks in the face. I guess. Uh, yeah, it seems super mobile. Definitely. Yeah, I don't know. He's got a lot of good. Like it's it's basically like uh, like a Bruce Campbell and Evil Dead at this point in terms of how how <laughs> good really that prosthetic is. Oh my is. gosh! Like, it's so it. Also, he has this shirt. I didn't realize this until just now. His shirt has his name on it. Yeah. It's well, so good. You <laughs> so gotta know. Choice. You know? Well, he, it, In case the arm wasn't a giveaway. And because, you know, it's one of these things, like, I don't know if you if you, if, if you ever watch reality shows where they, like, bring in, like, a roofer or something. But, like, mm-hmm. the roofer always, like, wears, like, the T-shirt for their roofing company while they do it, you know? So he's like, yeah, sure, I'm <laughs> helping the Navy, but I got to advertise my Sharkarium. <laughs> right. I'm just saying, if you're at the Sharkarium, you can kind of assume that Wolf Kincaid's the dude on top of the shark. <laughs> nah, that's when you got to advertise the most. <laughs> <laughs> So anyway, <laughs> um, Kincaid arrives at um, at at the wreck, swims down um, as the Navy guys spot a Cuban ship nearby underwater. Hookjaw bites down on Kincaid's iron arm, and then Kincaid hits him with some kind of underwater taser. I guess is that that doesn't make sense. That no. doesn't seem like a thing you want to do underwater. Okay, just make that. <laughs> That's a real thing, because yeah. seeing that was like a huge red flag. It definitely seems like something you don't want to do when you're connected to the shark you're tasering by, by a piece your of metal. metal. Arm? Yeah. <laughs> 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 
Like, I it's don't a, know. It's this, a bad scene for sure. This dude said it was like raised by sharks or something like that, but it doesn't seem to have like established some sort of mutual respect thing. Well, you know, you can't argue with results, I suppose. Uh, <laughs> He's just a dude who's way into owning sharks. Yeah. Anyhow, Hookjaw's stunned and Kincaid heads for the sub and finds some other divers there along with a swarm of sharks. It's probably those dang Cubans. Kincaid <laughs> hits them with a shark repellent, which drives the sharks away from the sub and forces the divers to have to have a pretty awesome shark-on-knife fight in the deep sea. Oh, it's pretty cool. <laughs> It's pretty cool, definitely. Like, it's so well illustrated and stuff. The sub is raised to the surface, and at the last minute, Hookjaw jumps up and tries to eat Kincaid one last time. The diver dodges it. The sub's saved, and Kincaid promises that someday he'll settle Hookjaw's hash. And I can't help but wonder if he'll actually show up in the comics. He hasn't yet, but, you know, this is an interesting thing. Yeah, they sort of have set something up, but I think, well, one, leave Hookjaw alone. He's the best, and he has a shark posse. Yeah, which, and he's a super genius, and he's got like a unicorn harpoon thing going on. Like it's amazing, Duncan. And, <laughs> listen, yes. you got to get up on these hookjaw stories because yeah, I'm all about this. This is pretty seen, amazing. We've seen two different chapters of the hookjaw story. In the first one, he like showed up at this oil rig, and it ended with the entire with everybody on the oil rig being dead except for one guy, and the whole thing exploding in like a fiery maelstrom, which oh, is pretty that's awesome. So good. Including, so good. including a passenger jet that crashed nearby and the sharks just ate all the guys inside that plane and stuff. <laughs> That's amazing. But then, uh, the, then the one survivor oh, moved to like an island um, paradise, like, like like hotel kind of situation. And Hookjaw showed up there. Yes. <laughs> and not only did Hookjaw eat everybody, including this protagonist guy who he bit his body off, which basically means that he was <laughs> like he was just ahead. <laughs> Like yeah. the rest of his body was eaten by Hookjaw. That's amazing. But the efforts to fight Hookjaw led to some bombs being dropped in a nearby fault line, and the entire island exploded and fell into the sea. <laughs> oh wow, this seems so tame in comparison. I mean, Hookjaw with his shark posse just eating some like American Navy troops. I mean, he travels with the posse for sure. I was bummed there were no hammerheads in here because I like when the hammerhead shows up. You know, that's like <laughs> the guy in like West Side Story that like you know gets his own solo at one point just because he's so badass. <laughs> you know. <laughs> anyway. I also I I have to say that I love um, Wolf Kincaid asks like one of like the the Navy soldiers like what they're gonna do now, <laughs> and they say like. Oh, you know, we'll just hang out, um, and then later we can salvage the secret stuff, like technical term from this yeah. dude, just letting it all hang out. You know, no reason to tell this guy more than he needs to know, I guess. Uh, right, <laughs> just like, oh, we'll tell him that there's secret stuff down there. Yeah, I mean, I feel like it was implied by the urgency of having to like bring him out and have a mini sub and yeah. Cuban showing up and stuff like that. Totally I fair. I'm just yeah. uh, also. This shark would, uh, this shark's murderous rampage um, against humans would uh, make Greg Wild very happy. Yeah, it's totally wild action. And story 23, wild ones. <laughs> We're back. <laughs> yeah, more adventures of Greg Wild. This time he's canoeing down the Amazon when his guys spot some caimans. Although they're very crocodile-looking caimans, for the record. They, yeah, they're pretty big. Yeah, they attack one of the boats, and several guys and some camera equipment fall into the water and are eaten by the reptiles. Wild's yeah, way sadder about losing a bunch of zoom lenses than, like, 
one of his team members and two natives being eaten by these gators. Four people. He has killed, or he is responsible for the death of four people yeah. in one page of a comic. And he does not care. To no way, man. He's like, hey, we, you know, we got, we, we need these lenses, buddy. We got to film this stuff. <laughs> um, yeah. They continue into the jungle, passing some baby boas on the hunt for cool anacondas. Because boas are dumb and anacondas are awesome. <laughs> when they think they've spotted one, they set up camp and some bait. And the next morning, one of Wilde's assistants spots this big old snake and starts filming. But what he thinks is the anaconda attacks him and eats his camera. Oh no, another animal that's just way too down with eating metal. Yeah, plus it turns out that <laughs> one, it's only a boa, and two, that camera has the only zoom lens they have left. Oh, the real, the real tragedy. Yeah, to get it back, they grab a nearby baby boa, and uh, Greg Wilde, like, like kind of lets it bite his arm, which is, a, I guess he's got a fake arm or something like that. This is not explained. Yeah, what's up with that? that <laughs> they seem to allude to something that, like, oh, don't you remember that story, audience? He looks, like, directly in the camera, but I have yeah. no idea. I mean, it definitely seems like one of these things where if it was a continuing story, like, you'd play up the fact that it's a mystery that no one knows how he lost his arm. He'd like reveal at some, you know, specific time that some kind of animal like made him lose it. And he's got to have like a, you know, get over it or something like that. You know, this stuff goes. Right. Um, but anyhow, this baby boa, he's like, this baby boa seems threatened. And because of that, the father boa like has to go into action mode. So he pukes up the camera and like goes to attack Greg. <laughs> and I just. Like, okay. I don't think this is how animals work, my dude. <laughs> I mean, I know snakes can throw things up and eat them over again because I've seen the movie Anaconda where they do that to John Voight. Um, <laughs> but I don't think snakes have parental instincts. Like, right. where if you messed with a snake's kid, that snake would be pissed at you. I feel like snakes yeah, snake don't care about like, that stuff. I'm trying to digest this camera over here. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But I don't know. It works this time, I guess. Um... And uh, Greg yells at the assistants when, at one of his assistants when it just when he just freaking shoots that big bow right in the face of the pistol. Sorry, I saved your life, Greg Wild. Get out of here. Uh, Greg wasn't hurt. He's got again fake arms, two fake arms yeah. in a row here. Um, two fake arms, fake skull. Yeah, with no anacondas in sight, Greg decides they just go film those caimans instead. I guess get <laughs> freaking eaten by gators. He and yeah. he and some assistants row out to see these crocodilians, and they in turn and, and the caimans in turn swim out to start rocking the boat. When suddenly a massive anaconda bursts out of the water and swallows a caiman whole, which is pretty Hooray. pretty awesome. To be fair, Greg Wilde has done it again, despite great great loss of life and no action of his own. <laughs> we barely survived, but we got the nature footage. It's going to look real good on Saturday morning television. <laughs> they got the footage and good times for the Greg Wild bunch. <laughs> He's already forgotten the name of all the dead people. I mean, he doesn't slow down for, you know, lost members of the team, you know? And speaking of teams where we don't know the names of the members, Duncan. <laughs> <laughs> Story 24 Six Rifles for the Czar. So we're getting real old timey here. Yeah. It's 1812 and Napoleon is invading Russia. And there's a typo with the introductory thing here saying that Napoleon has 5,000 men invading Russia instead of 500,000 men, which is a big difference. 
<laughs> oh, okay. Maybe they should have sent more than seven. Nah. They asked, the Russians have asked the English for help, and the British boat arrives with seven dudes. Oh, no. The Russians Only are, six of them have guns, I guess. I mean, this numbering thing, I was positive one of these guys was going to get killed in the course of this story, but it was not to be. <laughs> uh, spoilers. Uh, the Russians are shocked, especially when they salute, and Lieutenant Harry Havoc of the 95th Rifles says he's arrived with six men to fight Napoleon. Because I guess things are tough in Spain, and they can't spare any more dudes, basically. Yeah. The Russians still accept the help, and the Brits are garrisoned nearby, though the Russian troops are like basically pretty insulted by this whole thing, and uh, try to fight them. But seven men... Work. Yeah, seven men's more than enough to kick the shit out of these guys. Brits yeah. wade in, they take out all the Russians, like, oh, the Russians are big, especially when they're all lying on the floor. Meh. There's a great one shot of the fight of like everyone doing like one dude's like ducking two punches and like the yeah. Russians are hitting each other. The other guy's kicking someone in the crotch. Yeah. Know, slapping some heads together. I appreciate the effort to actually kind of draw a fight instead of just having a big dust cloud like you'd normally have. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, I especially appreciate drawing like the fight as opposed to like Two, like, parallel, like, panels of text and just a story. Indeed. Um, <laughs> the, the next day, the troops are inspected by the Tsar, and after some bragging about their abilities, they're sent to prove them, and they, like, shoot, show their marksmanship by shooting down a weather vane to show that they're real good shots. Yeah. Soon they're selling... Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, it's, it's pretty impressive if you think about it. Definitely. Soon they're sent to halt a Russian advance, arriving at a key bridge that's just been taken by those dirty frogs. The, oh no. Yeah, the Russians are getting pounded by artillery, so the Brits set up a long-range position and methodically pick off the French cannon crews. In response, the French adjust their artillery to hit the Brits, and that gives the Russians time for a counterattack. But all their officers are dead, so it's up to the 95th to fix their bayonets and lead the Russians to glory. <laughs> Hooray uh, for the British. Yeah, the bridge is retaken, and both the French and Russian officers are impressed by those badass Brits. <laughs> I So when I first read this, I was kind of like, had this impression that like, there was some irony being missed, like, by the creators of like, you have all of these like, pro-war, anti-Germany, anti-Russia, like, propaganda comics, mm -hmm. and then you have this one comic that's about like, England and Russia working together. But, like, nah. on, re on <laughs> yeah. reflection, this is just, like, an opportunity for them to cap on, like, France and Russia, like, simultaneously. Yeah, yeah, this <laughs> is very, like, listen, like, whatever else, but the the important thing is that the yeah. Brits are the best, you know? Yeah, for it's sure. like, whoa, <laughs> whoa, these, like, Russians can't handle the French, but England can do it so handily they only need, like, six men <laughs> with a seven dude who's just hanging out. Um, yeah, definitely. And, oh, my gosh, there's such a good moment. Where the French are like being when they first start getting shot at, and they're like, "How is this possible? Like, who's no? This doesn't make any sense. Only, Only the British could do this. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Only those like rapscallions are like those indomitable champions are so like skilled that they would be able to shoot us. Yeah, definitely, it's real good. <laughs> <laughs> so good, definitely. Hey, speaking this of a, uh, oh, go, oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. I, I was just gonna say that this one's kind of graphic. Like yeah, this is just, good. it's so grounded because like compared to like um some of the other ones that are a little more over the top, like just mm -hmm. having like all of these dudes like reacting to like mortar fire or like some dude gets like a sword to the skull. Like, yeah, it's solid. Hat. 
definitely. Yeah, it's intense. Good, 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 uh, war, you know, good uh, 19th century war violence. It's the best kind, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And speaking of adventures to far, to far off places, Duncan, story 25, action mouse, and they fly through the air. With 25, we've tied for the most stories ever in one of these episodes, Duncan. So thank you very much for coming on this journey with me as we reach oh, the end Oh, this is here. my pleasure. And what an adventure it's been. And what a way to go out with action. Yeah, yeah. Action Mouse is in the Himalayas. And uh, he's looking for a Yeti. He finds a guy named Catman Do, who's some kind of cool cat hippie. Oh, the worst kind of cool cat hippie. <laughs> in the snow, no yeah. less. The cat shows Action Mouse to the abominable snowman. And man, it's just one of those Frosty the Snowman guys. Jeez. Bummer. <laughs> Wonka. <laughs> Let me find that Yeti, man. And then finally, we got a photo feature of different kinds of flying folks, including a dude with some homemade wings that are highly dubious. Some yeah, powered. Yeah, to be jumping that high. <laughs> yeah. Some powered hang gliders, a lady standing on a biplane, a human cannonball, and Evil Knievel. Yay. American hero. Yeah. And with that, Duncan, holy shnikes, we've completed <laughs> the 1977 action and you all. Yeah. And now that we've completed it, I have one question for you, Duncan, that everyone okay. must know. And we're all waiting on the edge of our seats to hear it. And it's what were your top and bottom stories? Yeah. So without. Any hesitation. Top story goes to Hookjaw. Yeah! <laughs> Hookjaw's the best. Like, how can anything else compete? And it's not even just because it's in full color. Like, mm -hmm. that shark rules. I'm totally rooting for it to, like, murder all of us. <laughs> it's great. <laughs> I love it. It's, like, it's crew. I love how the hubris of man is just thwarted at every turn. <laughs> totally. <You> can't... <laughs> It's it's a shark and it's like almost impervious to like electrocution. Oh yeah, Amazing. no, the best you can do is stun it. Really, like that's all we've ever seen, you know, for sure. Yeah, definitely. All right, so then, what? Yeah, what's your what's your least favorite? What's your least favorite? My least favorite. Ones? This is one that I like had to think about a bit. There were a couple ties, but mm -hmm. in retrospect, it's got to go to this second Wild Ones comic. <laughs> Just, it's uh, I love animals. Don't get me wrong. Like I can I can see eye to eye on that front but just greg wallet is such an ass <laughs> he's so yeah. terrible and this is the one where like the first time you know he's he's a jerk and he's like imposing himself on other people's cultures and and on their societies and stuff like that but mm -hmm. in this one he's just like he's responsible for so many people getting murdered and he doesn't care and he like treats his like companions like crap like it's just a bummer this dude stinks i almost gave it to johnny zero but he didn't really, like, I don't know. He didn't pay for people to get murdered. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. What about no. yourself, though? It's ridiculous. Oh, man. Um, I'm kind of, like, ugh. for my bottom, it's tough. I'm tempted to go with you with um the Wild Ones story just because, <laughs> like, yeah, like, I don't, like, this guy's callous respect for humans is real rough. Like, I don't really yeah, like it very man. much. <laughs> um. I think I'd do that one or maybe not. Nah, like, yeah, that one feels right. I think, especially <laughs> if I, if I don't pick the, uh, the, the, the tech stories, which I usually don't consider those in the running just because they're so different from actual comics, you know? Fair. 
like if I if I was picking that, I'd probably pick the uh, the uh, the death game uh, text like a prose story. Fair, but <laughs> also fair. I'm not I'm, I'm not counting it. So yeah, like the wild one seems real weird. I don't really get the Ooh, lesson. Like the the lesson seems really odd. Although I think also like a run ramped and run is pretty weird. Yeah. Also, just because I don't talking about bad lessons. <laughs> yeah, like I just don't get like what I'm supposed to take away from this. You know, it's weird. <laughs> yeah, what was the what was the point of this part of the story? <laughs> yeah, and then for my top, ooh, it's hard to not pick Hookjaw because that's a fun story about a big shark. It's so good. I understand no. you want to try and like give like publicity to other like highlights in this story, but yeah. Hookjaw rules. <laughs> I'd say I'd say Dredger's right up there, just blasting sure. guys with rockets and stuff. Um, although I'm actually tempted to pick um, Six Guns for the Czar, just because that that's pretty neat. Just because that one has some weird, like I like that it's such a, a different time for all these stories, you know, and sure. just like the, uh, the like ah oh, yes we're the Brits we're the British and we're the best we're just gonna show you Russians and <laughs> French what for like that's a really funny <laughs> seriously I just thought that was a really ridiculous stance you know like oh yeah like five hundred thousand men on the other side but these seven dudes are gonna turn the tide you know like I I also want to kind of give like honorable mention to like. Sports not for losers. Just because I am so tickled by how much the world hates Len for hating sports. It's just, it's it's really like warmed my heart. <laughs> I mean, you should def. I definitely suggest checking out um, our earlier reaction episodes, especially the ones that uh, me and our buddy Jason did, because we really start talking about like this world where track and field is the most important thing in the world. You know. <laughs> Like, I'm there. I'm there like, for that. Like pausing underground, like race, like fight club style race clubs and stuff like that. You know, <laughs> like it's a weird, uh, beautiful. It's a world that's not quite our own. The world of sports, not for losers. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, awesome. So down. Yeah. Thanks so much for coming to the show, Duncan. Oh, this is really oh amazing. My gosh, this is such a pleasure. This was so much fun. <laughs> Definitely. And I hope everybody else enjoyed this show. Feel free to contact Spacebinner2000 at Spacebinner2000 at gmail.com on the 2080 forums or our Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter pages on Twitter at Spacebinner2K. Everything else, look up Spacebinner2000 Spinner and find us there. Then come back next time as we finish up action for real with the final pre and post censorship um, issues. And we talk about the changes in action and its final days. As always, the real action is the friends we made along the way. And until then, I'm Connor at Bear Duncan, and we are Space Spinner Reaction. Splendid for free.